Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Imogen Craigmile, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a technical author working in the software industry. Each month, the podcast team plan to bring you interviews with people working in technical communication across a diverse range of industries, as well as all the latest news and events from our profession. This month, I am talking with CJ Walker, a previous podcast guest. CJ is returning today to do a talk with us about the subject of artificial intelligence in technical communications. If you didn't catch CJ's first podcast appearance in January, it's not too late. Just go to the ISTC podcast feed. CJ is the Director of Firehead Digital Communications and is currently based in France. Welcome back to the podcast, CJ. Hi, Imogen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for returning. So, as a starting point, I was hoping you could give us a definition of artificial intelligence and where it fits in with technical communications. That's a very good place to start. The definition of artificial intelligence is necessarily very wide. It gets kind of conceptual and fluffy. Basically, it's a machine that thinks. But it's so general. I mean, even Socrates in ancient Greece was talking about how machines could think versus humans. So um, it's not a new idea there. Without going into a lot of other technicalities, I think it might be best to stay with uh, how it applies to technical communication. Yeah. I think the best I can do is that it's machines imitating human behavior. Yeah. Not imitating human cognition. They're not imitating human thinking. It's about how machines process information. They can do it quicker. They do it in certain ways uh, that's more accurate. And where it comes down to us is probably the application of machine learning that ends up being the most important part. Machine learning is a tool in AI. It's um, how you train a machine to process information. It's the capacity of a machine to improve its own performance over time. And that has a lot to do with uh, procedures. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's such an interesting topic. It's hard to define, but I think that's a really good definition. Thank you. So from there, you mentioned the term machine learning. Would you say that machine learning is a precursor to artificial intelligence then? Machine learning is a tool uh, that's used to um, produce AI, if you will. It's how you do it. I think the biggest topics are machine learning and deep learning. Deep learning is a subset of machine learning. Machine learning and deep learning are subsets of AI, if you want to look at it that way. So what's the difference between machine learning and deep learning? Deep learning is the real hardcore stuff, and it is so specific that it eliminates a lot of the need for human intervention. It takes unstructured content or unstructured data, sorry, not content, uh, in its raw form, and it can determine the hierarchy of features and distinguish different categories of data uh, from each other. The classical learning that's used in uh, most of what technical communicators will come into contact with with their jobs is machine learning, and it needs a lot more human intervention. 
Machine learning is uh, is very important to AI because it's how you train the product to learn. I'm using air quotes there, so that it, it's a trial and error process, if you will, but it, it takes the best option from the trial and error and puts that in place, and uh, that's how it, quote, learns. Right, okay. Where do you think technical communicators come into it with artificial intelligence? Do you see artificial intelligence maybe swallowing up our jobs, or do you think there's still going to be a role for us? I think that is a very, very good question. I think that's the essential question for um, pretty much everyone. When they think of AI coming, they want to know what it's going to do to their livelihoods, to their jobs. And uh, I have good news for technical communicators. I think that it is going to give us uh, more work and more job security than we've ever had if we're willing to adapt. Yes. Uh, What I think is going to fundamentally change for us is that uh, traditionally we've been writing um, linear procedures. I mean, you wrote in a book or you um, eventually wrote online, but it was like shouting from a megaphone uh, what you needed to do in a linear process. And with the advent of uh, robotics and automation and AI, we're going to be interacting with the computers directly to have a conversation. That's an entirely different level of content development. You've got uh, contextual information. You, you're you going to need to make micro content to little particles so that you've got the possibility to answer uh, lots of different things. If you think of a conversation, you can ask a yes-no question, um, and that's just the simplest example. You've already got two options for a response instead of just one linear possibility. Hmm. Uh, it gets more and more complex from there. And the best way to do that is to break the content down. And that's a whole uh, subject of learning in itself. You have to be able to design a conversation that can be a tree structure. Um, That's probably even the, the simplest example. It gets more complex from there. But you have to anticipate uh, what the user is going to need. Yeah. And be able to give uh, more responses. That's how things are going to change for us. So you think that we'll be providing that kind of context? Do you think artificial intelligence will ever be able to provide the human context by itself? We uh, will be much more involved at the code level. But, I mean, coders have coding jobs for a reason. We're going to need to understand how they're working and um, probably be able to understand the code. Right, okay. We'll still remain uh, communicators, and we'll have a very important, uh, I think probably the most important uh, role uh, when it comes to AI, because who's going to design the information um, so that we can use these machines? Uh, The things that the programmers do will be in the background to uh, the user. But the user will be communicating directly with the, the machine. Yes, yeah. Do you think our role is going to be maybe a bit of an editorial role? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're asking about um, computer-generated content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's going to be uh, a lot more computer-generated content over time. And you can see it's happening already. I, I mean, um In a lot of journalism, for example, sports journalism, 
you know, you're taking data about um, statistics and who won the game, uh, and those things are those things are easy for a computer to process, and they can produce pretty good content. It's factually correct, but they're still going to need humans to come in and well humanize it for our audience. Yeah. If I were to predict, and this is uh, getting into prophecy possibly, but I, I think that um, technical communicators will be um, having more source content um, generated by machines, but we're still going to have a place that's um, editorial. Mm-hmm. Computers are efficient. Computers are quick. Uh, computers can process a lot, but they're working with data. Humans have lateral thinking, uh, creativity, uh, empathy for the the user that uh, machines can't produce. So we'll still have a role. Good. That's that's good news for us, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Shall we talk about the timescales to artificial intelligence? What do you think the immediate impact will be on us? First of all, AI is here. I mean, uh, there are applications around us everywhere. Um, Siri and Alexa as voice bots. You've got uh, my son's cochlear implant allows him to hear and uh, makes decisions. Uh, There's the Internet of Things. I mean, your fridge, if you've got a new model, is uh, connected. You probably already have a contract with your energy company to monitor your home. um, And it's relying on feedback. And the Internet of Things is, is huge in the consumer market already. There's predictive analytics, and if you think about insurance companies, AI is helping that immensely. It's used in, this is controversial, but um, profiling in the legal and the justice system for, you know, like um, criminal profiles when there's sentencing going on. They use predictive analytics to decide if somebody is a, a bigger risk than others. Just about any website you go on to um, that involves customer service has a chatbot on it these days. That's true, yeah. A lot of this is uh, conversational design and structuring, um, but there's also machine learning behind it, and that's AI. People tend to talk about the big applications, and there's a lot of fear around, and are we going to lose our jobs, and are they going to take over? But right now, today, we're not there. We've got a long way to go, actually. You can kind of categorize AI into um, two different levels for its application. There's something that they call weak AI, but uh, weak AI is narrow AI, and it's focused on performing certain tasks. And that's what we as technical communicators do is um, write about a lot of tasks, right? So it's like at a practical level, um, uh, it's the... Uh, the virtual assistants, the chatbots, the um, looking things up on the Internet, the research engines, uh, things like that. You've got it with Siri, Alexa. They talk about it with autonomous vehicles. Contrast that with what they call strong AI. Strong AI is where a lot of the hype comes from, and it's still pretty theoretical. It doesn't really exist yet because it's um, the definition of it is a machine where its intelligence is equated to humans. Right, yeah. It's a big idea. AI works by trying to replicate human cognitive functions, and um, we just can't do that yet. When you compare um, weak AI with strong AI, Mm -hmm. 
strong AI is also what they call artificial general intelligence. And a lot of research, uh, people will tell you that's the goal and that we're not there yet. <laughs> They're starting to call it artificial super intelligence now. I, um, oh. I think that's a great word. Yeah. You can see the theoretical, almost science fiction level of the, the goals there. If it's achieved, and let's think of it as like science fiction. I mean, maybe a good idea concretely to have it in your head is like Hal from um, 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. The idea is that it surpasses human intelligence and that it'll, it'll take our algorithms and learn more. And for me, there's a huge part of AI that's involved with just that ethics, mm-hmm. where you've got research going on on a general level, but you've also got um, a lot of work being done on identifying what the ethics are and how to use it. Yeah. Well, when you were talking about the strong AI, so that's the one where they're trying to replicate our cognitive functions, doctors and, and people like that, they don't even perhaps understand the full working of the brain. So will there ever be a time when we do understand it fully for it to be replicated in full? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think you've hit the question exactly. That's their goal, and that's a worthy goal. And we've seen a lot of uh, progress, actually, as um, their understanding grows. But you, you're getting into deep learning and neural networks. And um, I'm a linguist by training, and I can tell you that um, human language alone is very, very complex, and we don't understand all of it yet. So it's a lofty goal to be trying to reproduce um, human cognitive functions. They are using models, you know, trying to make something concrete. Mm. I think what matters to us is the actual applications of um, changing how we interact with the machines, changing how um, the user is going to process the information or the new things that the user needs to know when they're working with something that can react instead of just follow an order. Yeah, yeah. It's what that creates, I think, that matters to us. Uh, Our task is to communicate that to the the users so that they can use it, which has always been the case for TechCom. Yeah, to bring it back to TechComs there, because, yeah, we were getting quite high level, but it's it's sort of hard not to, but it's also fascinating. Like, I'd love to know more about that kind of side of stuff. How did you first get interested in artificial intelligence? I'm a linguist. I've been working with human cognitive functions, and uh, my application of it is language and trying to understand it as linguists. Well, we worked a lot with the computer programmers in, in graduate school because... We're trying to define something that already exists and model it. Mm. Those models are very helpful for the computer programmers who are trying to take something that doesn't exist and create a tool to make a language for the computers to use. We cross over a lot. When I was in graduate school also, there was just this arrogant belief that machine translation, for example, was impossible because... Human language is way too complex. Programmers will never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect yet, but I think you probably notice that it's gotten better and better over the years. Yeah. I could simplify that down to um, that's machine learning. The training has, uh, has gone on, and, of course, there are new technologies um, that they're applying to it all the time. But I don't know that it'll ever get to the level of human talking, but it'll get pretty close. 
there's an example of, I don't know if you want to call it a, a technology, that's a linguistic application of the, of the AI technology. And um, just as a concrete example, there was a really exciting application that came out um, last year, 2020, from OpenAI, and it's called GPT-3. And it's about uh, neuro-linguistic processing for language. They've done demonstrations where uh, they'll tell you to ask the robot a question. And you ask it a question, and they've been training it for so long that the robot can respond wow. um, technically, um, correctly. Uh, and this is the most uh, advanced application of it, but um, the robot doesn't sound human yet. Right, yeah. Uh, it, once again, it's the language part that they're still working on because it, it seems like language is so full of so many exceptions and um, workarounds and things that it's really difficult technology. But follow GPT-3 because that's what's coming and it's going to affect uh, our work. So when you say the robot doesn't sound human, do you mean the way it replies is very not how a human would respond to a question? Is it their answers are very short or very they lack context or? It's I mean, first of all, you run the risk of having a robotic sounding voice, but that's not really the, the problem. It's the, um, we call it a lack of fluency. Oh, okay. Even though the facts are correct, there's just a certain, um, you can tell it's a robot. That's not a problem, but it's um, struggling to to put things together. I'm going to go back to the example of computers process things quicker, faster, with like, um, more volume. But humans use different um, cognitive processes when they're, when they're using language, too. I, I mean, we... We're lateral thinkers, and we're making um, inference the whole time. Yes, yeah. Um, there's just complexity in language that you can tell that uh, it's not being processed the same way. Uh, the question is if it ever will be able to. But it can still accomplish a whole lot. It's going to be out there, GPT-3, uh, more and more because they've got uh, an open API. So it'll be easy to access, but uh, Microsoft just bought uh, rights to all of the technology behind it. Oh. As far as it being open source, it's only the API that you and I will be able to get unless we um, work for Microsoft, I guess. Yeah, thinking of Microsoft, do you think all the big corporations like Microsoft and Apple, are they all investing a lot of money in AI? The answer is yes. I think that big data must be a household word by now. Mm -hmm. That's basically volumes and volumes of data that we have access to that we haven't been able to process before because it's just too much. And it takes machine learning and uh, deep learning and lots of processes to, well, first to structure the data unless you're using deep learning. The idea is that um, deep learning can structure it itself. We have access to more information than we've ever had before from big data. That's the application of it. And uh, that matters. I mean, um, government statistics and um, the things that companies know about you uh, come from their ability to process big data. Yeah. Do you think those kind of corporations will be investing in technical authors as well alongside their artificial intelligence? Do you think they will think there's value in what we do? 
I think we're essential. Who, who's going to communicate to the user? This is all new. Yeah. There'll be more content probably generated by the machines, yes, but uh, who's going to make it usable? Our audience is still human, and only humans think like humans. Well, yeah, I was going to say, is the audience still humans? I mean, that's thinking way, way in the future. Will, do you think there'll ever be artificial intelligence to teach other robots things? Or is that just too, too out there? <laughs> Well, the robots uh, are working on algorithms that humans create, uh, but they're learning. That's the point of the tools in AI, right? So the fear is that they'll uh, take over because they'll uh, manage their own algorithms someday. But I think that's a big hyped-up fear. I can't say that it won't happen for sure, but uh, human interaction Human editing and control and um, surveillance is, is going to be needed. Yeah. And uh, that's happening already. And we're only at the level of applications, as we said, about we can narrow AI. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to think about how the future is, how it's going to go. Do you think it's going to just speed up in the next, like, 10 years? Do you think we're just going to see more and more in it happening quicker because technology is developing so fast? It's a lofty goal to um, to replace human intelligence, human cognitive functioning. Yes, yeah. But as far as uh, the progress with AI, uh, I'm working in this and with companies and hiring people in it. And uh, so this is my filter, but I think it's exponential. It's already there and it's being used for a lot of things that um, just make more uh, machines more efficient right now. Um, so maybe it's not so obvious to the consumer who's not working in technology, but it'll be exponential. It'll change uh, the way we work. In fact, um, I don't know if if you know about the idea of the fourth industrial revolution. No, no. If you'd like to talk about that, I think that'd be really interesting. Klaus Schwab, who runs the World Economic Forum, coined the term. The idea is that we're going to be going through a, a major societal revolution at the same degree as well, what happened in England uh, in the 1800s with the Industrial Revolution. Let me step back a little bit for context. When he talks about the fourth Industrial Revolution, the, the first one was um, mechanization, steam and water power. That changed society fundamentally, and it changed the job market fundamentally. Uh, then the second Industrial Revolution is assembly lines, um, Mass production, that also changed the job market. Yeah. And then the third is uh, something that I've lived in my generation, the um, computer and automation. Personal computing has uh, revolutionized our lives compared to uh, our grandparents. So the fourth industrial revolution is human-machine interfaces coming from AI. So you've got, you know, the automation and robotics that will be generated by AI. And the difference is that the computers will be doing a lot of the uh, thinking and interacting. How did you come across that theory? Is it quite a recent one? Well, the World Economic Forum is, a, a, is something I follow because I work in the job market. They've been around for, oh, at least 10 years. It's a think tank. And what's also interesting for us as technical communicators is that uh, with the changing economy that got talked about a lot um, with the future of work the german government decided to start looking into what the impacts on their labor market would be 
So um, they started doing a lot of research, and they called it um, Industry 4.0 after the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Um, they put a lot of money, and we've got a lot of uh, data to to look at, um, thanks to the German government and the Industry 4.0. The reason that I came to be interested in this is because there were um, a subset of forward-thinking communicators who decided to uh, look into the implications of the job market and the future of communication. And so they called that subsection Information 4.0. Right. And they created a think tank, but I ended up on the board here in France. But that's what they're studying, and it's based on the fourth industrial revolution concepts and um, basically how AI is going to affect our jobs. So there, there's a lot of information out there. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's just fascinating, isn't it? Um, it is a really interesting topic. I mean, at first I thought, oh, this is kind of science fiction-y, but... You know, as a recruiter, I thought, well, I need to know what the impacts are going to be on the labor market. And that was the angle that I was coming into it as practically. But with my linguist head on me, it just it exploded. There's so much there. Yeah. When I finished my studies, I, my my family, they're all medical. Um, I'm the black sheep of the family. Oh. <laughs> they said, congratulations, Carrie Jean. You, uh, now you can um, ask people if they want fries with that in seven languages. Oh. That's what they think linguistics is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I, I couldn't really talk to them about what I was doing. And so they had this idea that it was just a, a pile of foreign languages, which it's not. It's the science of language. And uh, I worked on language models. I was doing technical communication for a while when I um, moved to France. And then I um, settled down and was raising kids. And by the time I was ready to come back to the active workforce, the market had moved on and uh, big data had hit. And there were a lot of commercial applications of things like uh, taxonomies and metadata and things that go behind the structuring of all of this. And there just aren't very many conceptual linguists or um, even the, the applied stuff like um, taxonomies on the market. Mm. Uh, knowledge management was um, still very much a nascent field. Mm-hmm. And I had the good fortune to know most of them. So <laughs> it was really good for my recruitment. Yeah. But it was also the first time that I could say, this is what we do. This is why this matters. Because I... It was pretty theoretical before, and it's exciting to see where things are going. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I feel like you're really at the forefront of it, and I'm really naive about it. And perhaps all technical communicators should be looking into artificial intelligence and how we are going to fit in with it. Because, like you said, I think we are going to have to adapt and, and want to adapt, aren't we? I don't think we have a choice. But the new skill set is not outside of techcom. It's just a new subject to learn um, so that we can communicate what we need to to the user. Yeah. And I think it's pretty interesting because structuring a conversation to me is a lot more interesting than just writing a list of um, do this, do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to get in with a group of um, developers who are telling you all excitedly about what their application can do and start looking at all the directions that you could go to answer questions for the user and actually get to use them yeah 
to distill it into one thing that, um, let's be honest, they may or may not be thinking like that to use. So uh, to me, it's progress. Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think most technical communicators that I've come in contact with, we do all want to learn new things and be a bit more hands-on. So I think, I think the future's bright for us. <laughs> The future is very bright for us, and sometimes I feel a little bit um, guilty about that because AI will change the job market, and it's going to eliminate some jobs. Hmm. In fact, I think um, the bright side of this may be uh, that uh, human skills um, may become more in demand when everything else is taken over that can be automated. When that's all taken over by the machines, the job market may be left for people who can think and be creative and yeah and communication is not quite the same thing we're more on the human side yeah I think that's true I think communication is so difficult and and interesting and there's a lot that goes into it Uh, it's not procedural really communication is it no it's pretty messy content is messy as Christina Halverson says yeah, there wouldn't be a field of linguistics if it were all uh, straightforward and somebody just wrote a language for us to use that um, didn't have any exceptions or no rules. Yeah. Most of the contact that I have with this topic is um, France because I live here and Germany because um, their economy is just more um, implicated in it. Mm. And um, there hasn't been a lot of interest coming from the UK until recently. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We don't, well, to my knowledge and in my circle of like friends and work, we don't talk about it a lot, actually. And I work with um, with software, logistics software. It's also hard because you're talking about the future. And I mean, that's an inherent risk, right? Yeah. I could be completely wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. Who can say what the future will bring, really? But it's nice to see a lot of the technology that we use in TechCom being mentioned in the future of work. Mm. APIs are more important, docs as code, you know, working with the, the programmers and things. That's the way the field's been going. And now there's one more application for it. And I think that's good news for job seekers. Yeah. I mean, these are things that I, we're all going to need to learn to keep our jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was really mind-blowing stuff. It just fascinates me to think about the future of technical communications in this way. Well, lovely to talk to you. If you want to get in touch with CJ, you can find her on LinkedIn, and she's often contributing to ISTC projects, so I'm sure you'll be able to keep up to date with her. For more information on artificial intelligence, uh, CJ recommended a few fantastic resources in the podcast. She mentioned Information 4.0, and the World Economic Forum. So I would definitely recommend looking into those. Now for some things to look forward to next month. The Communicator Article of the Year Award 2021 is now open for entries. If you visit the website listed in July's Info Plus newsletter, you can vote for your top three articles. TC UK Metro in September is taking shape. So save the date, Tuesday the 28th of September. Keep it free and stay tuned for more information about everything that's coming up with that. TC UK Online Monthly is coming up in August. In particular, on Wednesday, the 11th of August, Mark Lewis is giving a talk on developer and API documentation. So that's very relevant to our conversation on artificial intelligence today. That's it for this month. Join us next month when Amanda will be back with an insightful interview with Catherine Rushton, a freelance translator specializing in technical documentation. That will be available on the 27th of August.
If you have a question about the podcast, email me at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. I want to thank CJ once again for being my interviewee today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can find out more about the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators at istc.org.uk or just research ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to tune in next month. Goodbye.